Welcome back to the Trojan Talk Podcast. I'm Ryan Young, as always, and I know I say this every time, but we have a great show for you. We have a loaded show today. We have three guests. We have USC defensive line coach, Vic Sooto, and we have both of USC's newest quality control analyst tires, but more familiar to USC fans, former linebackers Hayes Pillard and Chris Claiborne are on the podcast. The interview with Hayes Pillard especially, you're going to want to hear. We went for over a half hour. It was the longest of the three interviews that you'll hear today. And just really enjoyed talking with him. Really enjoyed talking to all three guys. But before we can get to that, A, I've got to, per protocol, tell you about how you can sign up for Trojansports.com and how easy we're making it for you right now. As you know, we're always trying to have some promo going. Right now we have two they're both really easy ways to get on board and get on our site and join our Trojan Talk community, get on the message board, get access to all of our exclusive content. And I hope that as you're seeing with the podcast that you're listening to, we are constantly talking to the key figures in the USC community and trying to bring you stories that no one else has. So real quick, our two promos, two ways you can get in. If you want to do a monthly deal, just get in quickly for a month and see if you like it. We are going to give you... Up to a $28 value for toward a free t-shirt or other apparel from BreakingTea.com. Again, a monthly subscription is right around $10, a little bit less. So $10 for a sign-up and you get a $28 t-shirt. You're coming out way ahead in that deal and couldn't make it any easier. Promo code there is MONTHLY2020. MONTHLY2020. And I put links to the promos in every story I post pretty much. Uh, so if you go to trojansports.com, click on some of our exclusive content, at the top of the story you'll see an easy access link for both promos. But if you just want to go and sign up on the site, just make sure you use promo code MONTHLY2020. The other deal, which I think is the best deal we have going, and it's a very limited time offer, for a new annual sign-up, we are giving you a discounted subscription of $49.99 for the first year. It's about half off. But we're also, with that, giving you a coupon code worth $49.50 to the Rivals Fan Store where you can buy any USC gear you want or gear for other teams or just general merchandise, whatever. If you haven't been there, it's it's not just a store for Rivals stuff. It's it's actually it's our partners, and you can buy USC hats, jerseys, shoes, everything. So you can get half off an annual subscription to Trojansports.com, and then we'll essentially give you that money back in value in this coupon code to buy USC gear. We do this deal a couple times a year. It's the best thing we offer. It's it's really we're just giving stuff away, it feels like. If you want to take advantage of that, I encourage you to. The promo code is annual2020. Annual2020. And again, go to trojansports.com, find the links in any story I post, or just go to the sign-up bar at the top and put that promo code in, annual2020. Okay, before we get to the interviews, obviously this was a huge news week for the Trojans. A long-awaited announcement, a long-overdue announcement, USC on Wednesday formally ending its NCAA-mandated disassociation with Trojans legend Reggie Bush, welcoming him back to the program without restriction, without condition. 
He can be a part of USC football again in any way he wants. He can be on campus. He can be at games. He can be on the sideline. Whatever he wants to do is now open to him. Obviously, fans have been pushing for this for a long time. His teammates have been pushing for this. As we talked to Athletic Director Mike Bone afterward, he made it clear that Matt Leiner was a huge force, driving force in this. Other teammates of Reggie spoke up on his behalf. But really, the the impetus for the timing, as we broke the story back in October, when we were talking to, at that time, interim AD Dave Roberts, he revealed, which no one knew at the time, that the NCAA Committee on Infractions, which he serves on, had made a rule change in 2017, changing all permanent disassociations, which Reggie Bush's was initially, to a maximum 10-year disassociation. And for Reggie, 10 years came up on Wednesday. And USC wasted no time. And Mike Bone made a point of saying, we wanted to be clear that the first moment we were able to do this, that we did it, that we welcomed this great Trojan back to our program. And, you know, there's not much more to say about it than that. This is what fans have wanted. This is what teammates have wanted. It's the right thing to do. We're not going to go back and relitigate the penalties and sanctions that came from the Reggie Bush matter. I think across the college football spectrum, it's almost a consensus opinion that they were draconian, that they were beyond severe, that they were excessive to the to the uh, actual infractions, given that Reggie Bush and his family and these impermissible benefits they got through prospective sports agents, none of that came from USC. It wasn't initiated by USC. It was... It was not part of Reggie's recruitment to USC. It, it, it wasn't the typical stuff that we see programs get hammered for. And again, we don't have to get back into it because it's a very raw matter still for USC fans who feel that the university and the athletic department didn't fight hard enough uh, against those stiff penalties, didn't fight hard enough for Reggie at the time. That's past. That will not be changed. That's already happened. That's been a rough 10 years for both the program and for one of its all-time great players. But Reggie is back, and we'll see what comes of that. We'll see if that means that he is going to be around every home game, if he's going to be dropping in on recruiting events. Mike Bone made it clear to say he was asked to be thought that Reggie Bush's return would impact recruiting. He said, let me be clear. There's no conditions on his return. We're not asking him to do anything. He, he owes us nothing. He doesn't have to do anything. This is for him. This is whatever he wants it to be, it will be. He is now a member of the program again in any capacity he wants. If he wants to pop in once a year, that's what it will be. If he wants to be on the sideline for every game and at practices, that's what it will be. So that's all yet to be determined. Also yet to be determined is what happens with Reggie's Heisman Trophy that he gave up for his incredible 2005 season. He, he gave back the Heisman as these penalties were handed down, and he made it clear in his interview with Colin Coward on Wednesday that he wants the Heisman back. He said, it's not my main focus, but I'd be lying if I said I didn't want it back. I definitely want it back. Uh, I think that USC wants him to have it back. I know the fans want him to have it back. So we don't know where that's going to go yet. We don't know what they're going to do about trying to honor Reggie again in the Coliseum with a number retirement of his number five, et cetera. Obviously, that's been a hallowed number that hasn't been worn. So it's, you know, for all intents and purposes, been retired. But 
I know fans would like to see it displayed again in the Coliseum and, and, and have a ceremony. Those are questions left to come, but this was, I think, an inevitability once it became clear that USC could do this after 10 years. Now, that said, Mike Bone made it clear that it was very important that, that he and USC President Carol Foltz talked to Reggie and heard how he felt about this. And Mike Bone a couple times used the word remorse, that, that Reggie feels remorse for the way this has both impacted his life and his career uh, and the way the sanctions that followed impacted USC football and his role in that. It's an interesting matter to look back on now that we seem to have more perspective and more understanding and more support of student-athletes and their rights now more than ever. It's been a slow process, and it certainly hasn't been initiated by the NCAA, but with public pressure, with media pressure, they are coming around on this name-image-likeness matter that will, sooner than later, allow student-athletes to actually profit off their own value and marketability. And the irony is we're talking about this, that Reggie Bush has been exiled from the program for 10 years because he, he and his family got benefits from an outside organization, outside people, is there will soon be avenues for players to do that. But very few will ever have the marketability or value that Reggie Bush had at the peak of his time at USC. I mean, when we talk about name, image, likeness, he is he and Tim Tebow and a few others over the last 20 years are the prime examples of guys who've really sacrificed a ton of potential value because of the rules the way they were. If Reggie Bush plays in the time of, of name, image, likeness, he's doing commercials while he's at USC and raking in that money that everyone else was making off him in the process. So it, now more than ever, it feels right to end this exile, end this charade, whatever you want to call it, this just incredibly unjust penalty that he's been put through for a decade. It just makes sense now more than ever to move on, I guess, for lack of a better word, and remember what Reggie Bush meant to this program as one of the all-time great players in the history of USC football. And he can now be connected in that way again and not connected in the way of this former great athlete who's not allowed back at his school. Obviously, Reggie Bush was allowed back for one game last year because he was in a working capacity for Fox Sports for the Utah game. And you saw, you heard it from the fans who were chanting his name before the game, during the game. It was a tease of what is to come. Now, we do not know if we're going to have fans in the Coliseum this fall for football games or how many fans we're going to have. And that's a shame that Reggie's return is coinciding with this uncertain time because I can't imagine how loud that place would be for his first game back as a truly official part of the program again. I want to hear the Coliseum, a full Coliseum, welcome Reggie Bush back. And I'm not sure we're going to get that this fall. I don't know. We'll see. But it seems unlikely. And that's a shame. But, hey, it, it at the end of the day, he's back, and that's what matters the most. We were talking on the Trojan Talk message board this week about some of the great memories and highlights that come to mind. As you all know, I, I went to University of Maryland. I'm from the East Coast. And so I, I was in school at Maryland 
while Reggie Bush was here at USC doing this thing. And I'm just going to tell you, like, there were very few programs that mattered nationally in the way those Trojans did. They came to Landover, Maryland, to the Redskins Stadium for the 2004 season opener against Virginia Tech. And I don't know how I did it. I was a student at Maryland writing for the student paper. I finagled a press pass to that game because I had to be there and cover it. I had to be there and see this great USC team in person. And I I made this analogy on the message board, but it was like the can't-miss concert tour was coming to your town, and you just had to be at that show. That's what USC football was nationally at that time. And obviously, anyone listening to this podcast, the fans here know that, but I wanted to add my perspective that even being on the other side of the country, even going to another school, it was like, whoa, the Trojans are going to be here. Matt Leiner, Reggie Bush, this amazing team. I've got to be there. And and there was just major buzz even on on that side of the country for what he was doing and for that game. And he had three touchdowns that game. So I, I certainly was able to share in the Reggie Bush experience in that way. And I, I know how important this is to this USC fan base and to this program. I've made this point many times before, but it has amazed me the last two years covering recruiting how many kids – bring up Reggie Bush and not even just kids from California. I'll talk to a kid, a, a running back offer and I'll say, Oh, so, so what intrigues you about USC? And they'll go, Oh, well my favorite player growing up was Reggie Bush. And I'll say, I'm, I'm doing the math in my head and I'll say, well, you were, you were barely alive when he was at USC. And they'll go, yeah, but I, you know, I've watched all the highlights and I, I go back and watch his YouTube clips all the time before I play. And, it's just that's that's the player I want to emulate, and I hear this time and time and time and time again. It's not even just a handful of examples. It's just stunning how much he still resonates and connects with today's prospects. Obviously, the big example last year and didn't work out for USC was four-star running back Bijan Robinson from Tucson, Arizona, who same thing. I, I talked to him his junior year early on in his USC recruitment, and he's telling me. My favorite player is Reggie Bush. Like that's why I'm interested in USC. And when he came on his official visit, they let him wear the number five jersey around campus. They let him hold a Heisman Trophy. So I mean, they were definitely allowing him to bask in that connection. But you think now, moving forward, what if USC has one of its big on-campus recruiting events, and a handful of these kids who grew up idolizing Reggie? even just through highlights and, and his legacy and lore, if he's on campus that day and makes an appearance and what, what impact that can have. That's where USC fans' minds go now on this is, man, this could be a major asset for the program. Again, we're going to have to wait and see on that, see how involved he wants to be. But I do think he's going to be around the team. He mentioned how excited he is to talk to the young players. I think he's going to be eager to share some some wisdom and, and, and lessons and and be an advocate moving forward on these name image likeness matters and making sure that players of this generation get their due value that he wasn't able to get through within the NCAA bylaws at the time. So, so before we get to the interviews I mentioned, I want you to hear from USC Athletic Director Mike Bone. I pulled out three clips from his press conference Wednesday for you. And we're just going to play those and, and let you hear those straight from him. And then we'll get into the rest of the show. The first clip is cutting into his 
introductory statement and just about this decision and, and why it was the right thing to do right now? I think that was really important to us and, and being able to hear that from him. And uh, uh, I'm anxious for him to continue to share his thoughts and views like he has recently, uh, even as, uh, as recent as today, but other stories that have come out about his situation, how he feels about it. And uh, I salute him for his candor in, in putting that together. And uh, again, the support of his teammates was extremely strong. And I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, say thank you to Matt Leiner and others for their efforts to help us engage and bring a unique perspective that, that maybe we we're not aware of because we were not here during that time. And, and that was extremely valuable. And I, again, I believe the the uh, passion from so many people tied to USC was, was really a, a strong push of, hey, this is the right thing to do. And when you think of our efforts associated with student athlete welfare and our student athlete centric model here at USC that Dr. Fult and I are partnering on. This, this is certainly a part of that. And uh, I recognize that, that we don't have all the answers associated with how we're gonna recognize Reggie, how we'll reintroduce things uh, from the Heisman Trophy to retired uh, numbers to all those different things. Uh, and we will certainly get to that. And we certainly understand how important that is. But right now our focus is obviously on our existing student athletes and the COVID challenge. And obviously the challenges associated with other events in our country that are deeply troubling to us. And so please bear with us as we work through some of those uh, 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 big challenges and, and putting it together. But we wanted to be clear at the first date, the first morning where we could comment on Reggie's association with USC that we wanted to welcome him back. And that was very, very important to us. And uh, I can't wait to see how Reggie advocates for student athletes. And we hope to be a great partner in helping him make a difference, which I know he wants to do. And all you have to do is look back at the wonderful work he's done off the field throughout his career. And I know it'll be a special day for me when he can walk on campus with his three kids and his wonderful wife and be a part of what's going on at USC. And again, as a part of the transformation of student athlete welfare issues across the country. Okay, the second clip I want to play from USC Athletic Director Mike Bone is a follow-up question about the Heisman Trophy and whether that what influence USC even has in that? Is that a, a Heisman Trust decision? Is that a USC thing? How does that even play out? And again, don't have the answers. We, we didn't get the answers on that, but I want you to hear Mike's response directly. I know it's important to Reggie. It's important to our fans and so many people tied to USC, and I have no idea what that process looks like. Uh, I just know that as those uh, discussions and pieces come together, we are going to support Reggie just like we would support all of our student-athletes. And uh, uh, you're right. We do not have uh, a plan or a clear direction associated with what that will look like. I just know that uh, it's important to Reggie, uh, which makes it important to us. And uh, we'll just have to see how that unfolds. And the third clip I want to play for you is Mike Bone answering the question about the conversations that he and President Folt had with Reggie 
and how they got to a place of just making sure that they were comfortable with making this decision. Well, again, uh, they, they were candid, heartfelt, and uh, I, I cannot be more touched, proud, uh, and inspired by a, a former player for his maturity, honesty, uh, his true emotions about the, what this did to him, and he knows the impact of, of, of what it did to USC. And again, I believe that will be an incredible asset to help us moving forward. So those conversations were candid, honest, direct, professional. Uh, I, I couldn't have been more impressed and pleased. And I know that uh, Dr. Fultz's conversations with him were obviously on that same level. So uh, so much credit needs to go to Reggie and, and his mindset as he's dealt with this. He's carried this for 10 years, and uh, that's a long time. And trying to be an elite athlete in the NFL at the same time and being the iconic L.A. sports figure, figure that he was, that, that is immense pressure. And uh, we're here to provide a platform for him to uh, reach his goals and his dreams, whatever those may be along with those incredible dreams of our existing student-athletes and our wonderful former players, again, across all of our sports. Okay, and with that, let's get to the rest of the show. Let's get straight into our interview with USC defensive line coach Vic Sooto. Okay. All right, we are very excited to welcome in to the show USC defensive line coach Vic Sooto. Vic, how are you today? Doing great, can't complain, man. It's a, it's a hot day out in Manhattan Beach, so we're ready to go to the beach. That sounds nice. I, I've got to imagine you're excited to get out, period, and especially to get out and work with your guys eventually. I, I want to start there with this process of trying to install a new defense and having only one spring practice and having to do it via Zoom and, and long distance. How much do you feel you've been able to accomplish as a defensive staff in getting this new system in place with these guys during this strange time? You know, it's hard to tell. Um, I don't think you can really tell until we all get together and we, you know, run through calls and informations and stuff like that. But um, we've been able to cover a lot as a defensive unit. Um, we've been able to install a lot. But where you find out what they know is when you get out there and do it and then correct and, you know, keep going, doing that dance of, getting out there and correcting our mistakes. Can you kind of take us inside the process and how you even go about utilizing this time, the meetings you have, the Zoom? What do you even do to try and make progress and get the most out of those sessions? Yeah, um, obviously you got to go over, you know, terminology and, and uh, you know, what we're planning on doing and, uh, for the most part, the X's and O's uh, were confusing at first for the guys, but you know a lot of that has been cleared up. And unlike any other year, we have a lot more time to meet with them. So we get eight hours a week, and usually now we'd be shut down and they could only train. So we actually have a lot more time in that aspect, and um, we watched a lot of film, um, a lot of film of of previous, previously coached uh, Orlando defenses and um, and then, you know, working on our upcoming opponents. So we've thrown a lot at them and we've done a lot. 
Um, but really, the only true test is whether or not they can do it when they're asked to do it on the field. So, uh, yeah, we started from scratch and uh, covered a lot and continuing to, you know, basically repeat meetings um, so guys can understand what their job's supposed to be. In terms of the personnel you're inheriting, what have you been able to learn about these guys? Uh, I'm sure it's the same deal where until you see them on the field, you don't truly know what you have. But what sense do you have for this group and the options you do have up front? Yeah, first first and foremost, I think all our guys are hungry. Uh, yeah, I inherited a unit that has a lot of talent, um, but just hasn't shown on the field. And so I've been very blunt with them and upfront with them about my expectations and um, and where I see them each as a an individual and then as a as a whole of where I see them going and uh, everybody in our room is just hungry you know they're hungry to learn they're hungry to win uh, they're hungry to you know go out there and beat opponents so uh, as a whole, you know, I don't see why we couldn't be the best in the country. Uh, we have the talent that's uh, that's there, and we just got to go out and do it. And so our expectation, you know, is to be the best. And um, a lot of times it comes through uncomfortable moments, whether it's out on the practice, you know, in meetings where they really got to buckle down and study um, or taking them, you know, to an uncomfortable place where they're tired and, uh, their bodies telling them to stop. So uh, once they understand, you know where I'm coming from, everything else is pretty much easy. I, I, I tell them, well, this is you want to be great. This is what we have to do. So that, that kind of plays into my next question. I, fans have been following your your social media activity, your tweets, and you often use the hashtag Silverback. And just kind of expound for me if you can on the Silverback mentality and and how that kind of has become a, a rallying point for you with, with your teaching and your guys? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, the mindset uh, of, you know, high-achieving, high-performing athletes, there's there's a different mindset. And, you know, you can call it what you want to call it, the Mamba mindset or, uh, you know, silverback mindset. But for us, it's just being the alpha. And I think a lot of times, especially Mike, you know, playing time as a player, going out there and, and kind of just letting things happen um, instead of being uh, the one that's out there making things happen. And so uh, our mindset in our room is to be the alpha, is to go out there and and be the one that everyone leans on. Um, but then also in, in football, it's, it's also a functional thing. I, I teach them a you know, technically our stance, how to generate power is real similar to how, you know, a silverback grows in all fours and generates power. And so it kind of goes from that. It went from that to, you know, the mindset thing of going out there and just destroying everything, destroying the moment, um, you know, destroying offenses, offensive linemen, and uh, being the unit that that you can see go out there and, and dominate. That's what excited fans the most was first hearing Tyler Orlando talk about the intensity and physicality he wanted to bring, and then 
hearing you pretty much echo his sentiments exactly. And it was almost as if you guys had rehearsed the script. But I know you had, and it's just you're both of the same mindset. How, how do you teach intensity, though? How do you get that to come out of players if maybe it hasn't fully in the past? Oh, it's easy. Uh, you just take them to uncomfortable spots. So, uh, you know, big guys aren't used to running. And real simply, if, if you're not running in practice, for me, it's not to you're going to play. And so uh, I think how they do things, not just what they do, uh, you can tell a lot of whether they're being intense or not. Um, and then the physicality of playing defensive line. Uh, now it seems like a lot of D linemen, you know, strike a, strike an offensive lineman, sit and wait and look around. Um, but for me, it, that's not enough. You know, I want them getting knocked back. I want them to knock the offensive lineman backwards to create a new offensive line of scrimmage. And uh, with these fast-paced offenses, what happens is, you know, the D-line starts to play soft and just play the next play, you know, and kind of get through um, a no-huddle offense. But my challenge to them is, well, what if you don't get tired? What if the D-line and O-line aren't taken out of the game by an up-tempo offense? What if you can run the entire game? What if you can knock them back every play? And um, right now, the training days, uh, you know, there isn't, the light at the end of the tunnel yet. Uh, but once Saturday rolls around and, and they find themselves on the field and look across the line of scrimmage and the guy in front of them tired, but they're not, that's when, you know, that intensity, that, that perseverance and practice and all those times, you know, they wanted to quit, but they didn't. Uh, that's when it all comes out. And so training it back to your question, training intensity, is really giving them an opportunity to to persevere throughout practice and even in meetings, you know, putting them in the hot seat and making them answer quickly and confidently and loud. Uh, there's a difference between sitting in a meeting and just going through the motions and you know, being confident with your answers and being dialed in and being locked in. And so that's kind of how I teach it. And, I'm sure there's a million ways to teach that aspect, but that's just been what's been successful for me. You mentioned in your opening press conference with us back in March that that your guys might not like you initially, but they'll they'll learn to respect it. Do you feel that they have a, a true sense of what to expect from you whenever you do get back on the field now? Yeah, I do. I think we've spent a lot of time together, especially this last month you know, with meetings and personal calls and checking in with their families. I think they have a great idea. Uh, we only had one practice, but I asked them how it was, and, you know, some of the comments were it was the hardest, you know, that I ever had, ever, hardest practice I ever had in my life. And, you know, it's pretty funny because we didn't have any pads on and we didn't hit anything. So, uh, you know, I think, uh, I think, or at least the ones that participate in practice have a clue. But again, once Saturdays roll around and they can sort of see it come to fruition, that's that's when you know everything really clicks, and then they they lock in even more meetings and practice. Right now, it's kind of going through the motions of oh, it's a new coach. You know, I want to see what he wants me to do. I want to do what he wants me to do, and 
and which is good, uh, but it isn't until third, fourth quarter, you know, against Bama where it comes out and um, and then it starts really quick. Yeah. Well, I, I wanted to ask you about Tyler Orlando, and you hadn't worked with him before. What was your first impression, and when did you get a sense for him and what kind of guy and coach he was? Right, so uh, uh, Coach Mennonal, uh is big into research and data, and so I was actually in charge of breaking down Coach Orlando's defenses the past two years and seeing what fit you know the defense at Virginia. And so I had a feeling, uh, or at least you know, that knowledge defense is doing and how they're violent and how they run and his exotic you know blitzes from different fronts and. Uh, so I had a pre-existing knowledge of what you know the defense would entail. Uh, it wasn't until you know actually talking to him and then now working with him that you see uh, the type of detail uh, that he has in his defense and um, the type of energy that he brings every day, whether it's a staff meeting or um, position meeting or practice. You know, there's there's a level of exactness and detail that, that he, you know, holds you accountable to. And then he does it in a way that you just want to go out there and jump around and go play. And, you know, so he's a great motivator. Um, and it's just been awesome to, you know, be in a room to pick a brain of, you know, one of the great in uh, football right now. And so, it's just been exciting. Uh, it's been a lot of learning for me uh, and a lot of um, making sure that my guys know the ins and outs of the defense. I think the easiest thing for fans to see from him is that intensity. Is there a good anecdote or, or story where you saw that really clear as day and really manifest early on in a staff meeting or something else where you said, man, this guy really does bring it all the time? Yeah, there was a, I think it was one-on-ones, um, or it was seven-on-seven. Seven-on-seven, watching seven-on-seven film after our first practice, and uh, someone caught a ball, you know, a go-route, and beat the defense. And, um, you know, he's running to the end zone. It must have been 40 or 50 yards. And then uh see behind him, Coach Orlando's full-on running, ran the whole way gave him a high five, you know, and then jogged back to, to the next play. So that type of energy is contagious. And, um, you know, as a player, you see, the, I think he's almost 50 or whatever. He's in down the field, you know, why Why could you, like, why wouldn't you be able to, to run down every play? And so uh, that type of energy is, is contagious, and I love it. Well, one more thing on his defense I want to get into, and a, a big question everyone has is kind of, is it going to be a three-down front, a four-down front? How much is that going to be mixed? What's your expectation for, for your your unit and how you're going to operate? And obviously in the one spring ball practice we saw mostly a three-down front, but also Drake Jackson split off as a pass-rushing outside linebacker right at the line there. So not all that different, but what's your expectation for how, how the front's going to look? It'll be everything. You know, I think uh, going in it'll be everything, and then as we get 
uh, closer to playing games and breaking down, you know, what the offense isn't good at. You know, that's what we'll do. I think a lot of things go into uh, whether you're in a three-down or four-down. It's the end goal is how do we win the game and how do we do it with people that we have and um, how do we do it against, you know, this offense. Um, so for us, as a defensive front, we're learning everything. I'm teaching you guys, you know, the, the responsibilities of everybody, you know, because uh, they, they don't know who they're going to be at and where we're going to be at. Um, but I want them to understand the big picture. If I had to give you, you know, percentages, I'd say it's 50-50. We could be three and a four down, um, you know, depending on, again, what the offense is weak at and um, kind of go from there. But with all this meeting time, it it allows us to dive deeper into um, football philosophy as a whole <laughs> and what offense is to block a three down, to block a four down, and how it may seem like two different plays versus a three down and four down, but it's really the same play just based off of where we are as defensive linemen. Um, so it's been a really good opportunity, you know, to teach the D linemen just general football concepts. Um, but they expect to be in both, you know, and uh, their mindset is one, in one is different than another. Uh, and I think they understand that. So we're expecting to do everything. Uh, we're expecting to play in both three down and four down. What would be the biggest difference for a guy like Jay Tufeli if you're in a three-down look versus what maybe he played in last year? The biggest difference? Yeah. I think for him um, is understanding how to play a three-down. Uh, a lot of times in a three-technique that just goes vertical, and there's not a lot of reading. It's a quick read, and then you're gone. Um, but when you want to get into a three-down, it's understanding how do I affect you know, the inside backers and and how do I affect uh, you know, maintaining my gap but also being able to make the play outside my gap. Uh, so there's a little more reading involved. And uh, once he understands the read, you know, it, it ends up being just as fast as playing three techniques. And um, that's my goal is to get him to, to that spot before we even start. Uh, you know, practicing as to where he can move and twitch just as fast as he was in the three technique, um, but he's in a four eye or a zero, you know, wherever we intend to put him. Well, very good. Well, I want to get into a, f a few last questions that are, are not about the scheme or defense and just about you. And obviously, you grew up in Southern California, so you're not new to the area at all. Uh, but you also have another tie to the program. You're, you're second cousins with the great Junior Seau. We haven't really asked you about that connection, that relationship. How? What kind of relationship did you have growing up with Junior when he was when he was playing? Yeah, um, it was more, you know, admiring what he had done. He's a uh, he was really busy. Um, the times that he had come back and trained. Uh, we were able to, a bunch of the cousins and, you know, kids around in, in Oceanside um, would be able to see that. And that's 
that's kind of the most inspiring thing is, is seeing someone that you uh, someone that you know from your area and go to SC and then go on you know to NFL and have that career it inspired you know our, our entire especially me to to go out and play football so. I grew up and, and I never thought of college. I didn't know what college was until I started getting recruited. I just knew I wanted to play for the San Diego Chargers, you know. <laughs> and uh, and seeing what he had done, and, uh, but then also his brother's influence uh, in my body and and, um, um, and Tony and, and all those guys of, of how they were always around and and helped us as as young, you know, aspiring NFL players to, to train and and get better. So uh, Junior's influence, you know, it goes obviously goes beyond um, Oceanside and, and but for the Polynesian culture, for the Samoan culture down in, in Oceanside, it's huge. And then, you know, being a part of it at that time where he was at the highest of highs, um, and and having so much success it just it was like, why not? You know, why why can't it be? Why can't I be next? And, and uh, that's something I always be grateful for. What is the exact family connection? What side of the family is it, and and how does it all intertwine? Yeah, so my um, on my mom's side, uh, my mom's grandma and. Uh, um, junior's grandma or sisters and then um, my actually my uncle my dad's brother uh, married his sister on my dad's side so that's kind of yeah a mosh a, a, sure. a little milking pot there <laughs> but I'm sure, I'm sure that connection resonates even more especially now that you're you're at USC where where of course he starred oh totally there's a you know, the, the Hall of Fame walk or uh, All-American walk that we have going out to practice and, you know, there's pictures there and, you know, tap it every time I go in and out of the building just to, you know, remind myself of the standard that he set at SC and that I've got a lot of work to do. And so um, it's something that you can still feel, at least I can still feel around the building and his pictures or his name will pop up somewhere and it kind of brings you back down to get to work. <laughs> well, very good. Well, well, last question for you. I've run a few minutes over here, but I want to ask you one more thing. I'm really fascinated by, by your NFL career, the few years you spent in the league, because you, you bounced around to a lot of organizations and, and that just speaks to kind of your resilience and determination to stick with it. Uh, from the Packers, the Raiders, Redskins, Cardinals, Saints, Steelers. What, what did you take away from that experience and, and bouncing between active roster and practice squad and, and just doing it for as long as you could there? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. I think um, first, as a coach, you know, I've been able to sit in meeting rooms with you know some Hall of Fame coaches and great defensive minds with Curtis Green Bay. Uh, you know, Coach LeBeau at Pittsburgh. Um, and so what I took from that experience is, uh, you know, how to motivate players and, and uh, you know, how to get the most out of what you got 
and uh, and then schematically, you know, a lot of things that I've learned now, you know, are just kind of repetitive of what I had learned in the NFL through a bunch of different three four systems and and one four three system. Um, but then also as a coach, you know, being able to go through that, getting fired six times or seven times, I can't even remember, but, uh, you know, relaying that message to the players that I'm around, that you need to get your education, you need to take advantage while you're in college to make quality connections and not just a high from a booster or um, someone in the field of your interests, um, but to really have, you know, conversations and, and creative relationships with, uh, with people around you know, the university that that see you as, you know, someone they want to get to know. Because once you graduate, it's something totally different, you know. Uh, so, uh, you know, as a player, seeing um, guys come in that look just like you as far as height, weight, and speed when you're exiting the door and really understanding the true competition of the NFL uh, was probably the biggest thing I took from, from playing in the NFL is how competitive it is and uh, how short-lived it is, regardless if you play 10 years or, you know, four years or three years. Um, and that's what I want, you know, the be line to know. And I want to create in college so that it's not something that takes them by surprise once they get to the, get to the league. So my hope for our room is that it's competitive. You know, I'm hoping the guys coming in this year will push Jay. You know, I'm hoping somebody goes out there like Peely or um, or Jake. You know, which thing and come and, and beat out guys in front of them. And uh, and I love 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 competition because you know once they leave my room, they're just going to jump into another room, whether it's a boardroom or you know a, a position room in, in the NFL. And they're going to be expected to compete and perform at a high level. So, uh, competition uh, and um, you know, understanding on, on the coaching side, how to motivate and and um, and understand defense, offensive front touch in the league was was great. It was a great experience. And that's what I took from it. Great stuff. Vic, thanks so much for the time and for the insight. We really appreciate it. Awesome. Anytime. Thanks. All right. Thanks to Coach Vic Soto for his time. And we're going to segue to a couple of the newest additions to the USC coaching staff. New quality control analyst, Hayes Pillard and Chris Claiborne. Obviously not new names to the Trojans. Former USC linebackers, very accomplished players in their time here before now back in a different capacity and I talked to both Hayes and Chris on Wednesday right as the Reggie Bush stuff was happening so you'll hear their reaction about that as well and we'll get into those two interviews right now all right very excited to welcome in our next guest new USC quality control analyst former Trojans linebacker former NFL linebacker Hayes Pillard Hey, thanks for joining us, and how are you? Oh, it's awesome. It's awesome. Everything's good this way. How are you doing, Ryan? I'm doing excellent. I, I know the fans were very excited last week when the news became official that you and Chris Claiborne were joining the program. 
and it just adds some weight and some stature to the staff, bringing on guys that have done it, have, have been a part of this program and, and are now returning. I, I want to go kind of into the origin of that. How did that come together, your return to USC as a quality control analyst? Ah, uh, shoot. Just playing in my, my last couple of years in the NFL, wanting to keep playing, but the opportunity not presenting itself. Um, I guess digging deep and trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. Um, over the last four years while I was in the NFL, I would throw a youth football camp and I really grew proud of that. I loved the, the, the chance to be able to get back to the community, get back to the youth, and be able to change a younger football player that wants to go into football's life and teach him the things that I wasn't be able to be taught uh, growing up. So once I felt that and felt that I wanted to get this knowledge out of my head to be able to give it back to somebody that needed it more than I did, um, that, that that was a, a solidified question. I sent uh, Clay a text and uh, asked him if that would be something that he's interested in, and he was happy about it. He, he, he was happy that I wanted to give back to the youth and you know grow these young men into men and help them during their journey the whole way. I want to get into all that stuff a little bit more in depth, but just in terms of the process, I know things were kind of held up by a hiring freeze that came from this pandemic. What were the last few months like just kind of waiting for it to become official? Uh, shoot, I mean, I don't think it was nothing different. I mean, I was still anxious to be able to get out there with the guys, get out there, you know, help them out in any type of need they, they needed, whether it was uh, uh, school knowledge, uh, football knowledge, I mean, I can go back from when I was playing, I was, you know, sixth on the depth chart. I was, you know, wasn't the best in school and I had to, you know, do tutoring. I mean, I, I have the stories and I have the knowledge to be able to help these young guys get to that where they want to be. And it, 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 It's going to be a tough road, but it's going to be a world that's worth it at the end. I know this is kind of a broad question, but, but you mentioned a couple times now things that you didn't know when you were coming up. Is there one paramount lesson that you think you know you want to impart to guys that you kind of wish someone had told you when you were getting to college? Uh, I think the, the three things that that stuck with me, uh, and, I, and, and I can be honest with you, I, I didn't learn it until my rookie year, and that was from a seasoned vet, Paul Kozlesny. Yeah. Uh, pretty much the three things were listen, learn, and then lead. And I didn't know what it mean at first. I mean, you just know the words, and, and I knew the definitions of the words, but I didn't understand it. And as I grew in the NFL, I started to understand that you, you, sometimes you, you, you listen to reply sometimes. And when you're a rookie or when you're a freshman, you have to listen. Like, listen, listen, and embrace what the older guys are telling you what the coaches are telling you, what the staff is telling you, what the medical school staff is telling you, because they all have seen the same kids, I guess, filter throughout that school for umpteen years. So they know how this is going to go. They know how it's going to work. Do they know your future? No, but, I mean, they can get a, a rough idea on how you're going down your path. So you have to listen to that. You have to learn from your mistakes, and then you have to lead, be able to teach them how to listen how to learn and how to lead and that creates championship mindsets and that's what's going to bring this team back to being a championship team they already put the the pieces together with the coaching staff the medical staff and and the whole building 
led by, you know, Mike you just see the direction of this team going in the right way. We asked uh, Chris Claiborne this too. I want to ask you, kind of from your perspective, tell the fans what a quality control analyst is able to do and how you're able to take all the stuff we just talked about and really work with these guys and, and impart that to them. Ah, uh, control analyst. I mean, it, it, it's exactly what it says. I mean, I'm, I'm here to, to feel where's needed, where, where, wherever this team is needed. From the coaching staff to the player staff, I mean, I'm I'm not going to be on the field actually, you know, doing the coaching part. That's what the position coaches are for. That's what the the OC and the DC is for. I'm just here to help in any way. Just like when you were a player, when you were a rookie, or when you were a freshman, you're just trying to figure out how to help. I want to be able to win a championship and help them out in any way. As for that's the Stay up till midnight and, you know, diagnose Alabama. That's what I need to do. If I need to, you know, help a guy get to class because, you know, he, he's a little tired this morning, he had a rough game, that's what I need to do. So whatever the team wants his floor to do, that's what his floor will do. And I mean, I, I'm just here to help win the championship. And that's our goal and that's what we want to do. What was it like officially being back in an official capacity as part of the staff? What, did you have a lot of nostalgia and memories flood back to you? Uh, sure. I mean, I haven't been back at the campus, you know, due to everything going on. I mean, just the 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 feeling of you know getting announced to come back over Instagram is you know powerful on its own. Just seeing the the, the alumni, the, the the fans, you know, showing you know love and just feeling that love like I was back at school is. is it's kudos to the, to the fan base, to the alumni system, to my brothers, to my sisters that's out there, and just, just the love that, that, that comes with the territory. Like, USC does not, you know, only last for the four years. It lasts forever. And, you know, you, you take that for granted, you know, being in the NFL, you know, doing what you're, you know, what you're supposed to be doing. And when you come back, you see the love, you feel the love, and all you can do is, you know, just tell the truth about how USC is as a home place. And that's what I brag about all the, all the time. And, you know, when you were a freshman or when you was a high school kid, everybody brags that, you know, you go to this school for four years and, you know, we, we, we love you after that. But I've had experience and I've seen it, you know, with guys that once you leave, you're still a USC Trojan. And you come back, you're still a USC Trojan. And it's truly amazing. And I love my school. <laughs> comes through it's 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 uh palpable the way you feel and, and it's uh it's crazy it's been three months now in this pandemic i and i totally forgot that you guys aren't even in the building it just kind of become a new way of life here in terms of this new role do you envision impacting recruiting in any way i know you can't recruit off campus but i think you can you can help with the on-campus events or make calls and stuff like that Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, like, uh, like you said, I mean, I'm, I'm willing to help in any way. Like if I, if I can talk to a kid and, and let them know how I was, you know, thinking about in high school and how to make a decision and not, you know, necessarily telling him USC is the perfect place for him. Cause everybody's different. I mean, I can't force you cause at the end of the day, it's this, it's this kid's first opportunity. And this may be his only opportunity in his lifetime to be able to get a scholarship from you know, many different schools. So I'm here just to help at the end of the day because I, I remember the pressure it, it hit me with when I was in high school, and I remember the pressure it hit with my family when I was in high school. So all I'm able to do is help this kid make a great educated decision. And the good thing about USC, 
we're the best in football. I mean, we we have eleven national championships. Uh, you know the, the the most you know Heisman Trophy winners, and we have the most draft picks. So football is already going to take care of itself. Yeah. And now we're a private school, and we're the you know I want to say twelfth best school in the nation. I mean that speaks to you know everything that a, a high school football player wants. And your parents are happy because you're going to get a, edu- a great education alongside with that. And it's paid for. So I don't have to really do too much bragging for USC because it's, it's already set in stone on what that is. You were a, a local guy, an L.A. guy coming in. How important is it that the staff has, has kind of brought in a Dante Williams who's from this area and obviously has Gavin Morris and, and, and really has guys that can, can speak to the local athletes and, and connect and that come from the same area as this rich talent base that surrounds campus. Oh, that's, that's huge. That's a hundred percent huge. Cause there's always talent in your backyard. I mean, every college knows that. I mean, you, you, you gotta always dig deep into your roots and you know, LA is, Shoot, I mean, it, it, it's a stumping ground for all the talent. And you, to be able to have those guys like Gavin, you know, Armand, you know, myself, Chris, you know, a lot of guys, uh, Dante as well, um, to have those guys to be able to go back to the, the neighborhood, the community, even if it's, you know, 30, 40 miles out from, you know, inner city L.A., you're still able to communicate that I was in your shoes at a point in time. I understand what you're thinking about. Yeah. Well, so... That, that, that definitely helps, and I, I, I see us, you know, utilizing that because kids are, kids are, you know, in that situation where it, it's a tough decision, and you don't know how, how to go by it. You don't know. Sometimes you don't have those mentors. Like, from myself, I didn't have a mentor. I shouldn't say I didn't have a mentor. My dad just passed away in my sophomore season, so I lost my father figure early, and I didn't know who to come talk to. And during that time... I was doing, talking to Ken Norton, heavy. Like, I wasn't committed, but I was talking to Ken Norton, and he was able to guide me in the right direction. Um, so to be able to have these guys that, you know, lived in the neighborhood, grew up in this neighborhood, and now at the best university in the world can help those young guys get educated and get to a more comfortable state on where to go. Because I know none of those guys are pushing USC. It's going to push for itself. Like, it's already... A staple in a community. So all we all we can do is help those guys make the you know educated decision and the right decision for themselves and most likely for their families. Great perspective. I want to get into your NFL career, but one more question on on USC and this. You know, it, it was a big deal that you came back for your last season. You you wanted to stay and get your your USC degree. What's the biggest way that that you grew during your time as a student at USC? Biggest way, I mean, whew, that 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 list can go on and on. <laughs> I mean, I can I can start from the brotherhood, uh, just the bond that you you set with your teammates. You know, <clears throat> I don't know if you're familiar with the palace. That that group of guys is still my best friends to this day, and I'm still best friends with a lot of my teammates from those four years. Even if they graduated, you know, two years before me, three years before me. Then I'm still tight with the coaching staff, even though some of them aren't there, some of them are still there, and that relationship that I had with them was tremendous. It was spectacular. It was it was loving. It was genuine. It was caring, 
and then the aspect of the schooling to be able to get the help that I was needed. I mean, I went to a, a public school system. It, 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 it wasn't challenging, I would say, until I got to a private institution and it was very challenging. And I knew pressure can only do things. It, it can only do two things. It can bust pipes and make diamonds. <laughs> and I wasn't going to be a bust pipe. So I knew I had to get into that study session. I knew I had to go to the, get tutorials. And once I got into the hang of it, 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 it was a smooth selling. Yeah, it took me to my fourth year to be able to get my degree. I know USC sets it up where everybody's supposed to get their degree in three years. So if you want to leave, you can leave. And that's the good thing about USC also. So to be able to say the brotherhood was amazing, the coaching staffs were amazing, the student, you know, uh, I'm trying to remember the name, just the, the whole academic services was amazing. And the experience you get at USC is second to none. It's superior. It's it's at its own level. And that's shaped me and helped me be a better man today and how I carry myself in the NFL and how I carry myself in anything that I do till this day. I think anyone listening just from that can tell why you're an ideal fit for this position. But let me ask you about what your goals are moving forward now. How do you see your career developing i'm guessing you have have coaching ambitions beyond this role what's the plan uh i mean i didn't set out any goals uh on how i want to do coaching and what, what's my future set up the main thing right now was being able to get into this profession and i think you know clay and the rest of the staff for this opportunity and ultimately i'm here for these young men I don't if I if I had a chance to be able to say that I would like to be I don't I don't know just a coach and be able to stay at USC forever and just help educate these guys on and off the field I would do this for the rest of my life I don't need some fancy title to be able to say oh I'm the position coach and now I can't help out any type of guy or a defense coordinator so now I'm trying to you know get it. It, it was no set goal for me. Like, I, I didn't want to say, oh, I don't want to be a position coach. I don't want to be a defense coordinator because I feel like I can do all of those things because I can push myself to be one of those things. But ultimately, I'm trying to help the coaches in any way possible with the young knowledge I have. And I want to be able to grasp the knowledge that they have because they have far more knowledge for being, you know, coaches for 20-plus years. And this staff is very elite in that in that sense. So I just ultimately want to help these kids. I want to help the, the next generation of kids, and I want to be a USC Trojans coach for the rest of my life, and that's the passion I have to be able to give back to these kids. So I'm sorry if I don't have that, you know, <laughs> I want to be a position coach for, you know, NFL or, you know, a head coach one day. Like, those are my 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 passion to be able to, to coach. I want to be able to, I, I should say, mentor and educate these kids I, I i think coaching is a broad term yeah you're on the field coaching but i want to be able to help this young man get to where he wants to go even if it's the nfl i can help you i'm not i'm not coaching you i'm just teaching you you know different ways that's, that's why i say it's not really coaching it's educating them because you know it already you're trying to teach them how to be a pro and even if they don't go in the NFL, they can go into something else and learn those same practices that we learned on the field. Not necessarily, you know, chop, rip and all that, but the drive to be able to do 
repetition, repetition into whatever you do in your job, and that's going to determine how you played at a high level in college and how you perform at a high level in your next business, whether it's a doctor, uh, engineering, a business, a realtor, in all aspects of your life. Yeah, great stuff. Well, I do want to get into your NFL career while we have you here. And you had an interesting career. You're a seventh-round draft pick by the Browns. You move on to Jacksonville pretty quickly. I think most fans will remember your Chargers tenure the most. And then you were uh, in camp with Arizona and Philly last summer. Tell me about – let's work backwards. Tell me about the ending and and how tough was it to realize that it was time to move on and and not keep plugging along. Man, uh, don't get me wrong, passion is still inside i mean i still can get out there you know show them show them what's up but it's not to the point where i can make the decision um it's in their hands if they feel like i guess i can't play anymore then in my in my in my brain they're wrong i feel like i'm a competitor i'm a leader uh i do everything right and that's what i've learned at sc that you know, you do the right things, you play hard, you're, you're going to have a long career, but some sometimes the, those decisions aren't made by you. And with myself, I feel like I can't hold on to that. I can't hold on to that, I, I guess, that passion to be able to play if the opportunity is not given, myself, given to me. So I have to look to the, the next thing that I'm passionate about. Um, I can go and play, you know, on a seven-on-seven, you know, flag football team and get the love of the game because I just love the game. I love to go out there and compete. I love to to be able to go out there and, you know, chase after somebody that's faster than me, to be able to face somebody that's stronger than me. Like, that's the the competition that's been embedded in me since I was a Trojan. So I can go out there and find that. The NFL was just to be a plus. The money was just the plus. So that love will never leave me. The passion is still there. So to be able to sit back, like I told you, to go to the NFL and be able to do those camps every year, I guess the NFL was the number one priority. But when I started doing those football camps, it started lighting a new fire in me, which was to give back and which was to help our next generation. So I hope that answers your question. Yeah, well, I'll ask just a quick follow-up. Kind of take me through the scene. You were in camp with Philadelphia, right? At the end, that was the last one. So I want to say I I sat out for a couple of months. Um, I got a call in August uh, from the Arizona Cardinals. Somebody went down from injuries. Uh, I got to camp. I felt like I did very well. The coaches loved me. it just, I guess, in the organization, it didn't fit right. They had, you know, to me, guys at the position, totally understandable. A uh, great organization as well. Uh, so they released me. Philadelphia wanted to check me out. I mean, it was only one day left because I didn't practice. All I did was, you know, land, and tomorrow was the game. Uh, went to the game. I felt like I did very well with the amount of plays that I played. And they said they, this was an opportunity to be able to get a close-up. We heard great things about you. Uh, we just wanted to see if they were real, and they was like they were. So, I mean, well, if any injuries type of ha- thing happened, then you'll be the first one to call. So, after that, I sat for a little bit. The season was over, and I got back to working out. I mean, I'm still working out till this day, every single day. And like I was telling you, like my love for the game has not changed. I just have to utilize it in a different way. And I have to be able to provide for myself. And now I'm 
married to a beautiful wife and now we're having a, a child on the way. So I have to be able to think about more than just myself at this moment, even though the love for the game is still burning inside of me. But I can use that love and that, that fire inside of me to be able to help somebody else fulfill their dreams and their goals. And that would be the most satisfying thing than just sitting on the, the, the couch every day waiting for a phone call from the NFL to be able to get a, a, a tryout or a chance to get back in the NFL. That's awesome that you have that peace of mind with everything. And, and you did accomplish a lot in your time there. Let me ask you this. What, what was your proudest moment in the league? Proudest moment. Uh, that's a tough question. Or not even a moment, just the parts you're proudest of, of your NFL career. <laughs> uh, it had to be Jacksonville. I was in Jacksonville. Um, it was, I want to say, fall camp. I was third on the depth chart. Mind you, there's only six linebackers in the room, so... You can either be one on the depth chart, two on the depth chart, or three on the depth chart. Three does not look good for you <laughs> if you're in the NFL. So I'm third on the depth chart. And when you're third on the depth chart, you know the ones get majority of the reps, the twos get second, you know, to the majority of reps, the threes, you know, you get the bare minimum. So in my head, when I've seen this, because this is my, I want to say, second year in the league, because I already know how things are going at this moment. I know how they're moving. I know how, you know, the rep counts and all that. So I made, they, they, the defense created this competition where you get points for, you know, forced fumbles, TFLs, interceptions, you know, quarterback hits, quarterback touches, you know, different things from practice and game. I told myself that I was going to win this competition with the least amount of reps and that was going to get done. So throughout this whole camp, I'm leading. I'm, I'm, I'm demolishing these points. I'm getting every single TFL. Well, every play has to be a TFL, an interception, or a sack. In my mind, I have to be, I have to be the, the best Trojan in the world to get. Like, I don't, do not care at this moment. Because if you're going to release me, it has to be a doubt in your mind that should, like, should we release this guy? <laughs> so, lo and behold, I end up winning this award. And the last game, is, is the last preseason game is, I want to say, on a Friday. They called me in office on Thursday and was like, hey, you're going to be playing with the twos tomorrow. And that was probably the most proudest moment because I knew when you came out of the three bracket and went to the two bracket, you were going to make this team. And for those that don't know, to be able to make an NFL roster is so hard because you, you, you have 90-something guys and that, that roster gets from 90-something to only 53. Yeah. And, and usually in these organizations, they already have their 53 set up. So for me, being a rookie, like, yeah, I was in Cleveland, and then uh, I ended up getting put on practice squad, and the Jacksonville Jaguars picked me up. That's different. Like, I, okay, like, you're, you're, I'm playing right away. But to be able to go through 
spring ball, go to through a whole football camp and be able to earn a job like this is earned. Like this wasn't given, this was earned was probably the most satisfying feeling that I've had to be able to like, I was wanted. I, 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 I was, you know, a part of this team because they see me work. They see me, you know, go through the conditioning. You know, they see me train hard. They see me, you know, with the least amount of reps beat out every starter second string in any type of you know performance so i would say that was my proudest moment i mean i, I hope you feel the passion that i had in it i do and, and and that was just that that was it for me that's a great just perspective into into what life in the nfl is like for guys fighting for spots that's an awesome story hayes thank you for that i got two last questions for you if you have time yes sir um we've talked so much about this new role and you being a mentor to these guys. And obviously the last couple of weeks in this country have been a time where leadership is important and experience perspective is valuable. I know that Clay Helton had a call with the team last week where everyone was able to speak up their thoughts in the wake of the George Floyd tragedy and the protests and everything else. What has your input been to any of the guys or, or on that call? Have you gotten involved on that matter yet? Um, I'm I'm very very new with the team, so I let the team speak. Um, I didn't, I guess, wanted to shoot my input. I already knew where my input was in my heart, so I, it, it was good to to hear young men get young men talk about the situation and talk about change and talking about action as a group. And to hear that was. Was, was strong enough for me to just keep my mouth shut because they were hitting the right points, doing the right things, and planning for what to do next. So to answer your question, like all of that was taken care of, and I didn't have to really speak. My stance would be change needs to be made. Um, it, 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 can, it can only be made by uh, action and a plan. And right now, uh, we, we can start off with these protests to, to, to get everybody, everyone aware and doing the little things, uh, getting educated on, you know, people to vote for, getting educated on different bills and acts, getting educated on, you know, how to, to be economically wealthy and be able to help your family in that situation so you don't have to be, you know, in... Uh, oppression or in, in poverty. Yes, it, it, it's tougher for some, you know, minorities. We have to, to, to fix that problem because it shouldn't be billionaires and trillionaires and we have a lot of people that's starving. It doesn't yeah. make sense to me. I mean, we're, we're in a, a world where we're supposed to help each other. And painful i mean it's painful to you know see skid row it's it's painful to see those you know out there struggling and it's almost to the point where it's like okay like we we we, we fuss about you know when our mill are our mills aren't correct or this, this bed isn't as comfortable as it as it seems or i'm tired of living in this apartment i mean you you, you need to be very cautious with these words because I mean there, there's some people out there very struggling they have tents they, they have sleeping bags on the hard concrete they're out there fighting for food so it's 
So at the end of the day, okay, you, you have to be very thankful for what you have, but at the same time, we have to fight for change, and that's what I hope that that's what we're going to do. And you and you see it. I mean, we, we we see minorities with you know with the with, with whites. We see we we see a whole group of collective like minds working together for the same common goal, which is powerful, which is which is humbling, it's loving, it's it's it's, it, it, it's a fire that's built into everybody now, not just the minority race because we see others of our friends like i'm in a, a white fraternity and to see my brothers hitting me up and asking how that they can change like that's powerful to me and it, yeah. it almost makes me want to tear up because it's like you, you you've never experienced what i've been through in my whole life yet you're trying to help me and help i guess one day my son or one day the, the generation 10 years behind us don't have to go through the same thing hayes went through so, yeah, like this, this, this is a, 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 a promising time. I, I pray that everything is, you know, going in the right direction and the, the, the people in power realize what, what, what has to be done. I mean, we have to, like I said, listen, learn, and lead. That's what we have to do. Great stuff. And, and it, that really is the most inspiring thing right now is that, yes, there's still divisiveness in this country. It's, it's, there's rampant divisiveness. But we're seeing so many people come together right now. And I, I'm with you. It really is moving and inspiring. And I hope that this is not just a, a moment that comes and goes that is truly a pivotal time for this country and, and change follows. Thank you for your perspective on that. I got to ask you one last question. We're talking Wednesday morning. The big news today was USC formally welcoming Reggie Bush back to the program. I know you came after Reggie, but anyone who comes through this program is aware of Reggie Bush and his impact and, and what he did here. As a fellow former player, not a teammate, but a fellow former player, what, what did that news mean to you to see him formally welcome back as a Trojan? If not one of the greatest college football players ever, in my eyes and in my feelings, <laughs> He was always welcome back to USC <laughs> right. while I was playing. Whether the university didn't want him back, he was always welcome back. We, I know myself and the rest of my boys on the team knew the type of guy he was, the type of person he carried himself as. And, I mean, you knew on the field who he was. Like, you knew what he was capable of. So, everything that went on, whether he did it or not, I don't, I don't know the case. I don't know what literally happened because I was I, I want to say I was too young and I really didn't care to look into it because on the field you knew what what time it was when he stepped on that field and that's what as an athlete we respected him as and that's what the standard I held him as so it was like you, you're always talking a bit like shoot we can be you know a couple of you know blocks off and see if you want to like if I get to meet Reggie Bush you say what's up we go hang out at La Barca's or something uh, <laughs> so I mean, man, this, this this is this is great for the university. I, I hope you know Reggie, you know, accepts it and you know wants to really come back because I know this school loves him, man. I know the fans love him. I know the players love him. Like we 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 want the, the one of the greatest college players to to come back home. Like imagine if you you know you're a son and you you can't come back home. So to be able to open him, open that back up. I mean, I, I really hope he, he comes back, shows his face, and 
shoot, I hope the rest of the guys, you know, come back to show their face because, I mean, we, we, we the guys need that. Like, when, when I used to see Troy Palomalu, when I used to see, you know, guys like Brian Cushion and Clay Matthews come back up there, it was like, ooh, yeah, like that. That's who I want to be like. <laughs> so that, that, that internal motivation to see guys, you know, that came through these dorms that you slept in, ate at the same places you, you know, you ate, the same locker you probably had, you know, that, that's just, you know, that, that, that fire that should be burning inside of you. And it should be even lit when you see, you know, guys that did it right before you did. And, and that's the same reason why fans are so excited to have you back and have Chris Claiborne back in this new role. Hayes, thanks so much for your time. That was an awesome interview. I really appreciate how open and, and insightful you were and, and for giving us this much time. Oh, of course. Thank you. Okay, big-time guest onto the podcast, former USC standout linebacker, Buckus Award winner, NFL linebacker, now Trojans quality control analyst, Chris Claiborne. Chris, thanks for joining us, and how are you doing? Man, I'm doing great, man. It's a great day. Reggie, Reggie's back, so it's a, it's a good day, man, for the Trojans. I, yeah, I mean, I, I was going to ask you about that. I wanted to get into your career and your return to USC, but let's just start there. And I, I know you came before Reggie, but as a proud alum of this program, what's it mean to you to see what happened today? Well, I think it's good for any guy that put in blood, sweat, tears on that football field to be able to come around, you know what I mean, and, and, and to be a part and feel a part of the tradition and the brotherhood. So it's a beautiful thing, man, that, that he's able to do that now, and, I, and I'm happy for him. What was the buzz around the program this week, just kind of building up to this? Um, I, I don't think it was a big buzz. I, I actually do, I didn't know until I, I, I seen it. Um, they put it out. So it's good, man. I think I think today is where it's like everybody's excited. You know what I mean? And, and I mean, those that knew a little bit before, of course, was. But um, me just hearing, take hearing the news, man, I'm excited for him. I think USC fans are excited to reconnect with the past. And, and you're a part of the proud past of this program. And there was a lot of fanfare for you to come in in this analyst position. I, I would say I've never seen a bigger response to an analyst hire than when USC formally brought you on. I know it was in the works for a while. Just kind of take me through the process of how that came about and and how you realized that was an opportunity you wanted to pursue. Well, I think uh, for me it was always about – well, anyway, you can't do – you can't move up in this game until you have your degree. So it was very important for me to go back. I wanted to get my degree. So once I had my degree, um, it, was, it was even something that we could even discuss. I think before that, before the degree, it was something that could be discussed. So once I got my degree – started to inquire, ask, um, reached out to coach and see if there was any opportunities. And uh, just had to see and wait and see how it worked out, man. And, and uh, thank God it worked out. And uh, it's a great opportunity for me. What was the process of you wrapping up that degree? How much work did you have to put in on the back end here? Yeah, a year and a half. How about a year and a half? I had to Initially, I had to go to uh, junior college. Uh, to show them that I would uh, that I was dedicated, so I took two courses there, uh, and then I got on campus and uh, you know just went to work, man. Uh, also, NFL Trust was big, big help in this. So yeah, I just had to stay dedicated. I knew what I wanted to do. I was determined to get that degree. I wanted to coach college football, and I knew in order to do it, I had to have that degree. So 
it was all part of the plan and had to execute it. How far back did you reach out to Coach Helton and just kind of test the waters on this? Um, shoot, I can't even recall honestly. Um, but it was just, it just, you know, when I when I knew I was getting closer to graduating, um, a little bit after that, I think I reached out to Coach. So for for fans who don't know what an analyst can and can't do, kind of give me your breakdown of what you expect this role to entail for you. Oh, man, you know, it's just like being an assistant under their assistant, you know what I mean, honestly. And, and it's great for me, you know, coming in, coming out of high school. Uh, it's, it gives me a great opportunity to learn. Um, and then I'm also um, working on the offensive side of the ball, so that's awesome. They're very, very successful. And what I want to do further in my career down the road, um, that was, that was, that, I was lucky to get that opportunity. So I get to learn, listen, learn. Help as needed. Um, anything they need from me, you know, I'm, I'm there to help and, and, and contribute. Yeah, I, I was surprised by that to see that you're going to be on the offensive side. How did that come about? And will you have any involvement with the linebackers at all? Do you think? Uh, don't no involvement with the linebackers. I don't believe. Um, no, I, I don't think so at all. Um, but for me, um, if you want to be a coordinator, the best thing you could possibly do one day in your career is to spend some time on the offensive side of the ball and to be with the offense that's so potent and good, these guys are so successful over there, man, I, I'm, it's a blessing that I get to go over there and spend some time with them. Was that your idea, or was that just kind of the opportunity that was there? And then... It was presented to me, and and, and um, I, I loved it. When he presented that opportunity to me, I, I loved it. I thought it was a great opportunity when he told me. There's a lot of optimism that you can also be an impact in, in recruiting. And I know there's limitations to what you can, can and can't do in that role, but how much do you think that'll be a part of of the impact that you can have on this program now that you're back? Good. I hope I hope it's a huge impact. I hope it's a chance where you know you could be a guy that's from the past. I could talk to the players about what USC is all about, um, how to take advantage of the opportunities that USC presents. So I think um, I, hopefully I'll play a, a good part for them. I, I, you know, you just don't know. I, I just starting and. Um, I'm just, you know, I'm learning as we go, so I, I can't tell you uh, where, where, or how big my, my, you know, my role will be. But whatever they ask of me, I will, I will do it to the best of my abilities. Well, I, I want to kind of go back through your timeline here, and and, and when coaching came uh, into your vision, as I mentioned, you, you were USC's only Buckus Award winner. You started for the Trojans in the late '90s. You had a nice NFL career. At, at what point did you start thinking about life after the NFL and start thinking that, that coaching might be an avenue you wanted to go down? Well, uh, when I got out the game, I was out for about two years, and um, I started working with kids and really caught the bug there, man, and um, went to start working at Corona High School, went from there to Diamond Ranch, from Diamond Ranch to uh, Oaks Creek. And, and I just wanted to keep going and then did an internship with the Cleveland Browns came back and it's just been progressing you know what I mean going up and up turning to a head coach and then it was time you know for me to move up to, to the college ranks and uh, the opportunity presented itself so I, you know I, I jumped on it so it's, it's, I think it's always been in the works and I tried to just make sure I get it and, and work my way all the way back up to, to getting to where I am today. 
what qualities do you think, and obviously your experience being a big factor here, will really help you succeed as a coach moving forward? And what, what's the biggest thing that you think you can impart to the guys you work with? Well, I think um, moving forward, helping me is being doing what I'm doing right now is, is learning. I think in order to be a good coach, you got to constantly be learning. So to be able to learn, take this in, see how things go, I think it's, a, it's like, again, it's a great opportunity. I get to sit back. I, I mean, I'm not a position coach, so I get to, I get to watch and see how the position coach coaches, um, how to interact with their players, how the players are, are receptive to their coaching. And, and go from there and, and add it to my game, add it to what I'm going to do when I become that in that position. So for me, uh, it's, it's, a, it's, it's just an opportunity, man. I, I mentioned that there was a lot of fanfare around your addition. Could you kind of feel the response and the, and the excitement that came from the fan base when it became official that you were going to be part of the program again? Oh, yeah, man. I, I, man, it's just, it's, it feels great to be back home. You know what I mean? To be that's why, I, as I said, that's why I'm so excited for Reggie, because I know how I feel being able to be back in, in at SC and, and being able to help in any way that I can. So when I when I when I when I found out when the, when the, when they announced it and all the love that was poured out, man, it, it was incredible and it was a great feeling. Is is there one coach you had along the way, either high school, college, NFL, that left? such a mark on you that, that really kind of influences the way you want to go about coaching in the future? I've been very fortunate throughout youth ball and high school and college. Um, I would say my, my coach, uh, Ron Brewer and Johnny Washington, when I was in youth ball, um, when I got to high school, Mark Paredes, uh, and then with college, I, um, Sean Slocum and um, John Robinson and um, David Robinson. So, I, I have some good men along the way, man. So I, I would say at each level that I've been able to go through, um, I've had some great, great people, great coaches. You mentioned wanting to be a coordinator down the road. Do you have a, a master plan, a timeline in your head for what you want to accomplish? No, I don't think so. I think um, as of right now, today, it's uh, I'm just one day at a time learning, man. Um, I don't think you can put a timeline on stuff like that. Um, you just gotta produce. I think you get you get with the right group of people. You get with the right people, and you do your job, and you produce, and you show them um, what you can do. I think that stuff will take care of itself. So as far as putting timelines or any of that stuff, no, nah, I'm not. I'm far from thinking about that. How closely have you been following the program in recent years, and and what do you feel you're walking into with where USC football is right now? I think it's in a well. I think the football program, you know, I think that sanctions, you know, were tough for us, and we had to recover from that. And they did a, a solid job of doing that. Went to the Rose Bowl a couple of years ago. I mean, even last year they went to the Holiday Bowl. So I think um, the program is definitely going to do well this year. Um, I'm looking forward to to it having a great year. I think they got all the things they need. You got good coaches. Uh, you know, quarterbacks excellent. Offensive coordinators, awesome. So uh, I think we're in a great position to, to do some special things this year. So, yeah, man, I, I'm looking forward to it. I know you guys aren't at the facility yet because we're still going through this pandemic in a way, but what conversation have you had with Graham Harrell or the offensive coaches that you're going to be working with? Um, we haven't really had a lot of 
conversations. Coach did something really cool, and we're starting to get to really meet each other and, and talk and stuff. I mean, initially, the first week, you're just going – I mean, you're getting – learning the programs uh, and all that stuff. So now is the time that I'm starting to really uh, talk with them. Uh, Lenny's uh, been great. Uh, Kerry Cobra's been great. They've been helping me a lot, making my transition in uh, easy. So, yeah, those guys have been great with me. Well, good stuff. Before I let you go, I, I want to just kind of look back on your NFL career and how do you reflect back on what you were able to accomplish in this game, both at USC but then also at the next level? Um, I think it's just it's the team, man. It really is about the team. It, it, it's you know I, I was able to do some things, but it was other guys that played well. I mean, when I came in, Daryl Russell, you know what I mean, uh, Sammy Knight, Brian Kelly, Dalen McCutcheon. Uh, Rashard Cook. I played with some some good football players, and uh, they made me raise my may get my game up. You know what I mean? They really did. So I think that was the thing. I think that it was always about the guys that you play with. I think it was about representing where I was from, I'm Riverside, East Riverside. Um, I always wanted to, to to be able to come home and everybody be proud of me. So that that was another motivation, and, and playing for my family. You know what I mean? Uh, and and at USC. They don't wear – you don't have your name on the back of your jersey. So the only way to be known is to make plays. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you have to go out there and ball. And then, shoot, Coach Robinson and uh, Tino put that 55 on me. So that even put more, you know what I mean, onus on me having to play at a high level. So I think those added pressures, trying to represent where I came from, my family – and, and really trying to get to that next level, I, that was a goal of mine is to get to the NFL. Those are the things that really push me. And I'm, I'm sure that perspective and experience will be very valuable you can share with the guys. When it comes to your NFL career, is there one thing you're proudest of, one accomplishment, one moment, one season? Just that, what kind of crystallizes as your proudest moment from your NFL career? Now you get to start a whole new career, launch this coaching career. Just last question for you. I asked you about recruiting already, but how important is it when you're a recruited athlete to have people that are from the area where you're from? How much of a difference does that make for, for kids when they know that they have people in the program who know where they're from and, and have that same kind of history? I think I think it's, it's, it's good, but, I mean, ultimately you want a coach that understands you as a player and that, that, you, that wants to develop you. Right, um, so I don't I don't think people get too caught up in that because you're gonna have coaches from everywhere uh, in this game. You know what I mean? You don't know where they're gonna come from, but if they have the common goal uh, that you have as a player, I think that's as important. And, and then what can you get out of the university? Right. So I, I, I honestly, to, to just answer that question, I think um, it's good to have somebody that that you know from your area, but it's not a must. I think you should be able to go anywhere and recruit a kid. 
and if you have the common goals and he understands that you want the same things he wants for himself, it shouldn't matter where you're from. Good stuff. Hey, Chris, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. No problem, man. Thank you. All right, that's our podcast. I hope you enjoyed that. I really enjoyed talking to all three of those guys with with Vic Soto. He's a very he's a very intense guy, and he's just he's just very matter of fact and to the point. And and I think that comes across when you hear him talk that he's just just very about the business and and getting stuff done. Uh, I thought that was good insight about the defense and and what they've done to this point and this the whole process during this pandemic. And then definitely enjoyed talking to to Hayes and Chris. And I think after listening to them, you can really see why they're cut out for that analyst role. It's it's a weird term, analyst, because it's 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 really just a very broad job. Where as as they put it, they're an assistant to the assistants, and anything that they can do that entails scouting, breaking down film, working behind the scenes, helping guys get to class making recruiting calls and helping out with on-campus recruiting events. Once that is a thing again, it's it's a very valuable spot for a program to bring in quality guys there. And uh, USC expanded their staff by adding those two spots. They've had analyst positions. I think they went from seven to nine uh, analysts with those hires. So, you know, obviously there's a lot made about Alabama and all the analysts they have. I think USC is only a, a handful behi- behind now in terms of number of extra positions like that. Um, and I thought it was very st- shrewd and strategic and smart to use those spots on former players, guys who can speak to both the current players and to recruits from a basis of experience, not only in the game, but in this program. So I wanted to have both those guys on. I, I thank them for doing that. We've been on a great run with the with this podcast, getting a lot of great guests. Much thanks to USC for making guys available during this pandemic. It's really helped us get through this time. Uh, and, I, and I say that in terms of all of us, in terms of those of you listening, in terms of, of me trying to find compelling things to write about and, and talk about. So we appreciate all the interviews they've made available. And we'll keep trying to surprise you each week with, with new guests on the podcast and keep things interesting. Uh, once again, if you are not subscribed to Trojansports.com, if you want to just hop in as a new monthly subscriber, you can do that, and we'll give you a $28 value towards a free T-shirt or something else from BreakingT.com. So that's an incredible value, given that or a monthly subscription is, is less than $10. So you're coming out way ahead on that. To sign up for that, it's simple. It's the promo code is monthly twenty twenty, monthly twenty twenty, and as you know, I put links in most of the stories, so it's easy to find that. And then our big promo is our limited time annual promo, where you can hop in on an annual subscription for forty nine ninety nine, which is about half price. That's for the first year, and then we also give you a coupon code for $49.50 to the Rivals Fan Store. And just to, in case you haven't been there, the Rivals Fan Store, you can buy anything you want. You can buy USC gear. You can buy gear for other teams. You can it just It's a really expansive list of stuff. So it's not just, it's not Rivals gear. It's just, uh, it's our partners and 
So you can go on there and get USC hats, jerseys, shoes, anything you want. So that's a great deal where you're paying half price for the first year of an annual subscription. And then we're essentially giving you that money back in value where you can get free gear. So I would highly recommend that one. That is limited time. We have a certain number of coupon codes available, and they are going fast. But that promo code is annual2020, annual2020. And again, you can just go to trojansports.com, sign up, make sure you put that promo code in so you get the deal. Or I have links set up in the stories where you can click on the direct link to that promo, but still make sure the promo code is there, annual2020. And join our site. It's been really fun these last two months, despite the obstacles and challenges, and, and maybe life hasn't been as fun being stuck at home and not having sports but we've had a ton of talk about usc football wise with recruiting and the podcast we've been doing so hop on board and thank you as always for the support and for listening to this podcast it's growing we love that the audience is getting bigger and bigger and it's it's just even more motivating to keep finding compelling guests to deliver you guys each week so as always i'm ryan young thank you for listening and we'll come back at you next week